welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, adventurers, welcome to a special side quest episode, episode 80. Today, I'm joined by a handsome, blue-eyed, bearded explorer whose adventures have taken him to the depths of the sea that is board gaming via the Tabletop Submarine podcast. You know him from the Lost Loot segment, kind of our very own Explorer Josh. Welcome. hey Glad to be back. We just had you not too long, just a couple episodes. I kind of like this uh, switching up and get to uh, to talk to a bunch of people. Yeah, I know. It's it, it's weird. I, I'm used to being on like every three or four episodes, but now the adventurers are hearing more of me, whether for you better know, or for worse. <laughs> you still owe us uh, lost loot, though. We're not going to let that fall by the wayside. You're due I, to I, give us one. I am due to give you guys one. I got a couple in my belt. <laughs> Actually, I just need to get them recorded in between submarine adventures and doing these side quests with you guys. I got to do some digging. Your time is filling up, that's for sure. How was the trip home from PAX? You're back home now? Yeah, it was It was good. I was able to pick up a cheesesteak from uh, that Gooey Louise place I talked about. Yes, Man, those things right. were Those things are way bigger than I remember. It was like two <laughs> pounds for a cheesesteak. And I ate like one and a half of them. <laughs> it was a lot. My it goodness. was a lot, but really great. Had a relatively easy drive down. Just no, no, no problems. It was actually one. It was a great trip. Yeah. I loved it. How about yourself? You it was safe? wonderful getting to go and do Chinese with uh, with you, your wife, with Andrew. It was just a, a wonderful, wonderful evening. Dude, your son is adorable. <laughs> He's adorable when he wants to be. He's actually a lot better around people, in my oh, opinion, because yeah? he just likes to, you know, <laughs> gawk and stare at them. <laughs> like when he's alone, of course, he's like, he's, you know, he's usually pretty good, but sometimes he's just, you know, he's a toddler. He'll tear up yeah, the town yeah. when he wants to. But yeah, he's, he's really, really good in public for the most part. Did you fill up the trunk with a big old haul to take home from PAX? I actually had a really small haul this time. There weren't a lot of games that jumped at me that I couldn't get at my store because I get a discount there. But uh, I did pick a up a few point. good role-playing games. Two from a company called Giga RPG called Rune and L- I believe it's called Light. Light is like okay. a des- – it's a, it's Destiny-esque. The video game Destiny is supposed to kind of mm-hmm. be that kind of RPG. And then a uh, Rune is a solo RPG that's supposed to be Dark Souls-esque. So those look really great, and I got them pretty quickly because they looked interesting. We got a few more RPGs from Nerdburger. He does lots of cool, interesting things as far as like RPGs, and we got one that was from Plus One Experience Press, which is a game called Anyone Can Wear the Mask. For as far as board games go, I picked up Getaway Driver, which looked really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the other one I picked up was Mythic Mischief from Ivy Studios, the guys who did oh, Moonrakers. Yeah. You mentioned so. that last episode. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. So I'm hoping to get that played here soon. But not too many board games. I got a, some. I got an obscure one from like 2003 that might be a lost loot. I'm gonna not gonna say too much about it, but it looks Ooh. really interesting. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll be waiting to hear. You know what? I didn't get much from PAX either. When when we got there, they had the the bags they're handing out to everyone. And I think it had the root RPG, like the intro to the root RPG that everyone got. But for the media folks, we went and picked up our media badge. They had a copy of Flourish in each of our bags, and we did we had done Flourish on the show about a year ago. I really liked that one. 
I took home that and uh, John Company. Ryan was looking looking for me for the math <laughs> trade. Okay, so here's the story. He found John Company with the coins for one ten, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, let's let's do it. I can pull the trigger at one ten. Literally three days later, it was Wednesday. Somebody has post in the Pittsburgh board gaming group that they're selling their John Company with the coins. For 75. <laughs> I was like, come on. Oh, geez. It, uh, it never ends. But uh, yeah, a, a relatively light haul for me. Josh, I'm having you on today because we wanted to talk a lot about the company that we worked for and highlight a bunch of the games. We worked, uh, both of us, for board game tables throughout packs and for those who don't know, board game tables, uh, I guess they were founded on making tables, making fine tables with the neoprene tabletops, the cup holders and whatnot. But they have board games, a lot of great board games, and we wanted to highlight some of those today. Yeah, I know. Board Game Tables really does have a fantastic catalog of games. I think what's really unique about them is that they produce a whole bunch of games, especially in the last couple of years or so. Yeah. And there's not a single one of them I don't dislike. I find all of them to be enjoyable. Wait, which you is just rare. said there's not a single one of them I don't dislike, which would infer that you dislike all of them. Rewind. <laughs> Wait, I can put in the time warp music. Let's do the time warp. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, um, back to the back to the past. Mm-hmm. So, board game tables is unique. Where there's all, all board game tables is unique. Where I like all of their games. Most yeah. publishers I see, there's maybe one or two games that I like, and the rest of them are kind of like me, me, me. I it's like an all of board- man. Yeah, but I like all of Board Game Table's games. They're all really good. And I think that's in part due to the guy who runs the game. His name's Joe. The guy is very knowledgeable about what makes Board Game Table's unique and the brand he's trying to go for. So that's a really big part of why all the games are really solid. They do tend to thrive on like a, we'll say, 10 to 25 minute game. You know, you take away Basketball, one of the ones that we're going to talk about today. And I would say most of their games are anywhere from like 10 to 20 minutes. Uh, simple, easy to teach, easy to learn, and yet still have some amount of strategic depth that adults can play them with kids. And in the case of some of them, like, uh, like Ghosts of Christmas or Nine Lives, they're a little bit next level. And you have to, you have to fully understand trick taking and the, we'll say the, the rabbit holes that you can go down in a trick-taking game to fully grasp those. So they have a nice range in that 10 to 20, 25-minute playtime for games, don't they? They really do. They have two lines. There's their small box line, which mm-hmm. all the games are $15, 15 or 20 one of the two, in that range. These small boxes that are really friendly to fill on your shelf. And they have their mm-hmm. big box line, which are still, comparatively to other boxes, pretty small boxes that – House things like Kabuto Sumo, Habitats, and you know the other factory game that they have. I forgot the name sure. of it, actually. Factory Funner, that, that's it right there. They have these two lines, and the whole idea is that you can buy it for either 20 bucks or like 30 bucks. You get two different experiences, both of them, but still quality when you open that box for what you pay for. Absolutely. And you want so, to butter your game up just a little bit. They have a whole bunch of like upgrades that you can buy for the one that stood out. And I had, I had to point it out to people whenever we were at the con, you know, they, with uh, Nine Lives, for example. Well, you know what? Let's hold that. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the upgrades that you can get for the games whenever we dive into them. What do you say we dive right? Oh, geez. You're the tabletop submarine guy. I don't want to say dive into them. Let's dive uh, straight down. Oh, for crying out. Get your music. Dive, out of here. dive, dive. <laughs> 
Josh, I, I'll lead this one off. Now, most I think all of these games we've both played, so we'll be able to highlight each of them. We'll just uh, trade back and forth going over uh, how to play and what we like about them. So I'm going to lead off with Dandelions. Dandelions is a really easy game. Here's the premise of it. You've got these five garden tiles, and you put them in a circle, kind of like flower petals, and each of them have spaces, and they range from one, two, three, five, and eight. Number at the little bottom of each of those gardens. Everyone gets 11 dice. And when I say everyone, this is a two or three player game. Two or three. That's how many you need. Get your little marker in the start space on that one tile, the first garden. Everybody rolls all their dice, and on your turn, you it, this is remarkably simple, and that's the beauty of this game. Pick a die, put it in the middle of that lineup of flowers, and say it has a four on it. Move your pawn four spaces uh, on the outside of the flowers. So if you're, we'll say you're in, in the two garden and you move a couple spaces, you may still be in the two garden, but if you move enough, you might move on to the three garden or the five. There's fewer spaces as you get to a higher number. Then whenever you land, wherever your pawn ends up, you take that die and you plant it in the garden. You just set it on the garden. And then the next person does the same thing. If you land on someone, you get to move your die amount again. But the game picks up. I always explain it this way when I'm teaching. Uh, you know, folks will be playing for a few rounds. I'm like, look, it's fun and delightful now. It's going to get nasty. And it does. It does. So let's suppose that I did that movement. I got to move four and I landed in the three garden and I planted my die with a four in the three garden. And then on your turn, Josh, you move four and you're in the three garden. When you put your die there, every other four, you get to move forward or backward. Because the points at the end of the game are based on how many dice you have in each gardens. And it's really simple. If you've got four dice in garden one, four times one is four. If you've got them in the garden with a three value, four times three is 12. Or it goes all the way up to eight. If you've got four dice in that, that's 32 points. Plus, you're also looking at the pips for area majority. Let's say I have five dice in the one garden. That's only five points. But if each of them is showing, say, a six... Well, that's 30 additional points from that area majority. So there's a lot to consider when you're dispersing other people's dice to an adjacent location. When you use that disperse action, when you use the same number as something that's already planted there. Plays in about 10, maybe 15 minutes. And I like it. I really like dandelions. Now, this is really evidence that roll and move can still work and make a great game. I think that mechanism gets a lot of hate from, like, you know, it's the Monopoly, the Sorry, or things like that, where you roll a dice and move your piece. Oh, I and think it deserves the hate. It, okay. Y yes, it I does. It, it's been implemented wrong. But I think Dandelions show that if you implement it correctly and put a nice, smooth layer of, like, I guess, resource distribution, icing on top, a little bit of take that, it can make for mm -hmm. a great little game. Plus, you know, it's only 15 minutes, so... It's not going to be too frustrating for the most part, but you'll still get a sure. really great gaming experience in there. I got to tell you, I, uh, I got a copy whenever we were at Gen Con. I, I showed up and I was like, guys, I actually, I know them all except Dandelions. I don't know Dandelions. I think it was new at Gen Con or Origins. So they were like, here, just take a copy, learn it tonight, play it a few times, and you'll be good to go tomorrow. So they gave me a copy. That's awesome. I got home and I opened up my copy and I went to show someone. And my orange color, the orange dice, you're supposed to have 11 for each color. And uh, somewhere along the line at Gen Con, I lost an orange die, so I made mental <laughs> note. Pat, make sure to steal an orange die while you're there. <laughs> I forgot. So, Joe, if you're listening, I'm coming for one of your orange dice. It's, it's mine now. <laughs> Dandelion, awesome. solid game in their lineup. Why don't you give us one, Josh? So, I'm going to go ahead and talk about QE, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. So, QE, I think, is by far their most famous game that they've produced. 
If you've yeah, heard of board game, I, I, I go fifty fifty. I think yeah, I think you could be right. We'll talk about the other game that okay, okay, it's it's the other one, but but QE is definitely one of the more famous games. So in QE, it stands for quantitative easement. So what you're doing in QE is you are basically bidding for different. In the game, you are pl- representing different countries. These countries yeah. are trying to bid for different plots of land, which represented like cards or different assets. And you what got bottomless it, pockets. Yeah, bottomless pockets. You're, you're bidding for different assets in order to create combos on your board to score points. You know, nothing too special there. What makes this game really fun, though, is that, Patrick said, you have bottomless pockets. You can bid as much as you want. Like, we were, we were played this at Origins, not this last year, but two years ago, mm-hmm. with uh, New Sky, when I first actually met you guys in person. And we were bidding, like, at the end, like, six sextillion dollars worth of stuff. Like, it went crazy. It was so (laughs) much. But the thing is that if you end up bidding the most money out of everybody, you're going to lose the game automatically. So I love that it's hidden, too. Like, that very first corporation flips up, and we'll say that it's worth four points. The only person that knows what everybody bid is the lead-off person for that round. And their their bid is public knowledge. So if a four-pointer flips up, I might say, okay, guys, I'm going to bid $1,000 on this. And then around the table, everybody else is secret. So they don't know what each other are bidding, but I get to collect them all. So I kind of get to see where the table's at. And then I say, okay, this person won. I don't say the amount. They know if it was over or under a thousand because they saw I bid a thousand, but they don't know that Jimmy just bid ten million dollars. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, wait, it's they're in a whole different ballpark. I love that. Yeah, on paper, I don't think this game should work. It is so <laughs> crazy. It is absolutely insane. Like you are bidding so high, but the higher you bid, the worse your score is gonna be. But during the play, I couldn't help myself just going to the moon because I really just want I didn't care if I lost I wanted to bid six trillion billion dollars on this one point property just because I could it's <laughs> it makes no sense how fun it is it really doesn't like what are your thoughts on QE as far as oh like- my goodness I absolutely love the first of all it is unique it's hard to find a game that plays like QE does but there's something magical I'll go back to that scenario that I was just saying and you can hear more on our thoughts uh, on QE back in episode 57 I talked a little bit about this one there's something magical that happens if there's five of us sitting around the table the fourth person that's going to be the lead-off player. They don't get to be the auctioneer for three more rounds, right? They keep losing bids and losing bids. They don't know what the winning yeah. bid is, but they know that they're losing bids. So in my scenario where I said, you know what, a four-point company, I'm going to bid $1,000. They might have bid 2200 thinking, you know what, some people are going to go fifteen. Somebody might go $2,000. i am going to go 2200 And they lose. And they go, what? Then the next round, a new company flips up and the guy starts, he says, I'm going to bid 5,000. So that person goes, all right, fine. I'm going to bid 12,000. And they lose. And they're, finally it gets to them. <laughs> finally it gets to their turn. And they're the auctioneer. And they flip a, an X point company. And they say, you know what? I am bidding $40,000. Little did they know until they collect everyone's bids. Everybody else turns in their bidding. Uh, that It's a dry erase. Everybody turns in their card. And they look at the bids. And the eyes light up because they're seeing... 486,000, 720,000, 1.2 million. That realization that like, holy cow, I brought a knife to a gunfight. That (laughs) inevitably happens. And yet, like you said, they build in this thing where like, it's definitely a gunfight, but you don't want the biggest one because at the end of the game, whoever spent the most money 
loses. You basically want to have the most points without having spent the most money. And that's a tricky balance to hit. That's what I think makes QE stand out. Yeah, really, it's like the game, like the, the term poking the bear to make it upset, the game is poking you back. It's mm-hmm. it's really like, hey, you think you're so good, I'm going to poke you, guess what, you're, when it gets to your turn, you realize how much you're actually underbidding. It's a very <laughs> cheeky game, very cheeky. Josh, I want to talk about a new one called Nine Lives. This is a trick-taking game with an adorable cat theme. Now, we've seen this recently. I'm sure this was in the making well before the success of Cat in the Box. So I don't think that it was a response to it. It just so happened to be a charming theme that they put onto a trick-taking game, which notoriously, these are games that the theme is kind of tacked on no matter how. I mean, Cat in the Box had basically no theme, and quite frankly, Nine Lives barely does either, aside from the fact that you want to be the first person to get nine points. So how do we play? This one plays up to four. So we're going to pretend like we have a four-player game. Four suits of cards across four colors. Purple is Trump. The numbers range one to nine. If you don't understand trick-taking, none of that made any sense. If you get it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you deal out the deck, and everybody's got a hand of cards. You're going to sort them up, get ready, and the first person leads off a trick. And you go around doing your trick-taking, but there's a couple of catches. One, prior to the first trick, everybody takes this little cat meeple. Right? Now, speaking of deluxe upgrades, I think we're going to run into the first instance of one of their deluxe upgrades. They've got these four big cat meeples. I wouldn't even call them a meeple. Like, they're wooden pieces at this point. They don't even fall into the meeple category, but you use them to bid. There's a carpet. This little, uh, I, they call it the carpet because cats like carpets. Like, <laughs> mine's always <laughs> picking at the carpet. He, he does, he puts his butt in the air and starts going, and picking at it. Drives me insane. <laughs> you use your cat meeples to place your bids. So they go up uh, one, two, three, four, and then the one also has a five next to it. The two also has a six. So you can point your cat directly at the one spot and say, I will win one or five tricks exactly. Or you can put it sideways like horizontal and it'll cover two of those spaces. I will win one or five or two or six. But you only get half as many points if you're correct in the end. The goal, oftentimes in trick taking, the goals win the tricks, right? Yeah, trick-taking has taken a little bit of a turn in the board game industry lately where the the main, we'll say, variable that they're throwing into that stew is that you need to pick a target. They did that with Cat in the Box, you know, where, there, where there's a bidding. I think I can win this many tricks. And a lot of games, I think, are, are, are really trying to hone in on that. Nine Lives being no different, you bid on how many tricks you're going to win. The second catch comes in this fashion. Let's pose that I'm the lead player, and I lead off with a red Three. First trick, I lead off with a red three. Uh, Josh, you play a red seven, and Scott plays a red eight, and George doesn't have anything, so he just throws a yellow one. No big deal. Scott won the trick with his red eight. He can't take the eight back into his hand, but any of the other three losing cards, he can take. So intuition says, okay, he's going to take Josh's red seven. And that makes perfect sense, especially if you're shooting for a high number of tricks. But it was great demoing this game, watching people play, because once they hit their target, once they put their scoring cube up and it was right next to their cat on the carpet. Okay, you've won your target number of tricks. If you win another one, you better win three more. That's where it's like, oh, so maybe I don't want to take the best card from this trick. I love that. Absolutely love it. What do you think about nine lives? I really appreciate it for what it did. I only got to play it once, and I didn't get to demo it too much. But I really mm-hmm. do agree that trick-taking games are starting to take a turn for the better, where it's not about winning as many tricks as you want. It's about really trying to figure out how many tricks can I get in a round. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a much more interesting decision space. And this is coming a lot from Japanese game design, okay. which is because um, if you notice, lots of the people who make these games, these small box games for working tables, is are Japanese designers. And I think that's a whole market that needs to be tapped into because I really I appreciate Japanese game design and how you can do so much with a small amount of box. But that idea of I really got to figure out how many tricks I want to get in my turn. On top of that, what you said with I get to now choose my card, kind of like an I split, you choose type thing. Kind of. I think, that's, I think that's brilliant. I think that's a really good way to shake up the trick-taking formula in a small 20-minute game. It puts a lot of consequence in when, okay, you played the red three. I could play my red eight. But if somebody has the nine, they're not only going to win this trick, they're also going to get my eight, thus guaranteeing winning the next trick. Oh, Josh, wait, rewind. One more facet of this one that's cool. Okay, ready for this? <laughs> Whenever more. we draw our opening hands, there are four suits, like I said, four colors. The backs of the cards, they have the colors on them. So you're always you're right, aware yeah. if somebody is out of that suit or how many cards remaining of that suit they have. Holy cow, that takes such a simple concept, trick taking, and just makes it so challenging. I love it. Really well done game. And that, that, now that you bring it up, that is infuri- it's infuriating to me. Not in a bad way, but it's like they know what I got almost. Uh-huh. They, fit, they 50% know what I'm there. You can, you can start card counting because you can keep track of what cards people are taking into their hands throughout the turn. So there is a lot of – you have to pay attention to the other players, which is not something you do too often in trick-taking games. So without the cat and meeples, I want to say this is 20 bucks. Our con price was 15, so you can probably find it in that range. I think the cat meeple box was those four big, big meeples, and I want to say it was like five bucks. Yeah, it's not too expensive. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm-hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. Josh, why don't you tell us about Bites? Next one on the list. Yeah, Bites. This is a, one of the big box games. So in Bites, what you're doing is you are playing ants who are trying to gather food to bring back to their ant hill. So you have these really cool cardboard punch-out pieces that are like three-dimensional. They have like apples and chocolate, white wine, cheese, grapes, awesome-looking components. Some fancy ants. Yeah, fancy ants. They really are the fanciest of ants. And these little cardboard components are like double-edged, so when you punch them out, it's like a really hefty punch-out. But what you do is you set them out onto your table, and you put them in a trail. Just any trail you want can be as wacky as you want, as long as it's clear about where the trail leads to, which is the anthill. 
Basically, what you do is that on your turn, you pick any of the ants, which have colors on them, and they match the colors of the ingredients. So, if I want to move the green ant, I take the green ant and move him to the pepper. If I want to move the green ant again, I look on the trail and see, okay, where's the next available pepper? And I move it there. Now, the real trick of the game is that when I choose to move that ant, I look at the two ingredients, the two bite-sized foods, behind it and in front of it, and I choose mm-hmm. one to take to my inventory. Now, why that's important is because that's going to be how I score at the end of the game. So players throughout the game will do this concept of moving all the ants are available to you. You move either the, the green ant, the yellow ant, or you know the, the red ant, whatever you want to do, and take the ingredients that are either behind or forward, the, whatever you land on. So the real kicker is that the ant hill is going to be scoring differently each game. But based on where the ants arrive to the ant hill, either first, second, third, or fourth, they're going to score differently. So say, for instance, yes. we go take one of the different scoring cards. The ant who arrives first at the ant hill is going to score the lowest score. So instead of scoring, you know, one point, if the, if the red ant gets to the ant hill first, we're going to score one point for each of the apples that are in our inventory. Mm-hmm. But if the red ant scores and gets the, the ant hill last, it's going to score five points for everyone. Each game is going to be different, but it really creates this interesting decision space where you're like, okay, well, I really have a lot of apples right now, but the red ant is getting ahead, and so I'm really worried that all my apples are going to be worth a lot if it gets there first. Or it could be, well, hey, I need to get to the anthill first because if I get there first, my apples are going to score a ton. But if I do yes. that, I might miss some opportunities to pick up some other ingredients that are going to score me points as well. It is one of those ratcheting mechanics where I can go as far as I want, but I can't go back. Oh, it is so it is so good. The decision decisions you make in the game of which ingredients do I take, how do I pace myself the game so I get the scoring that I want, and then you add all the special abilities that come with white wine and chocolate pieces that really give it variability. It becomes mm-hmm. an in my opinion, it's almost an endlessly replayable game. Have Absolutely. you played Bites? Yes, I have. And some of the things that I love about it. So the ingredients, these are the tiles that make up the trail that the ants are on. So when you land on a spot and you take the ingredient in front or behind that ant, well, that's one less step on the path. So that's how they compensate and the ants that are behind can catch up a little bit quicker. I love that each player can control each ant. So your red ant example, he starts getting up to the front. Well, you have a lot of apples. You want him to slow down. I don't. I might decide to move that red ant on my turn so that I can force you to only get one point per your red apple. There's a lot of gameplay for such a simple concept here. It really is. I, I honestly think that this is their best big box game, in my opinion. There's a lot of them okay. I really like, but this is my favorite, mm-hmm. and this is one I this is one I actually bought and have because I like it so much. It has amazing table presence, super easy to pick up. I've taught this to some people, gamers and non-gamers alike. So welcoming. And the theme is just absolutely charming. And that anthill, I love the way the anthill looks. How it's this little pile. You have the, all the ingredients leading <laughs> yeah. up to it. And it really is, for such a simple concept, just go forward as far as you want. But as you do, that trail disappears. Really makes for a fantastic, good, but not overwhelming decision space. Josh, I'm going to talk about the other one. When you said QE is probably their most popular game. You might be right. But I think Kabuto Sumo uh, might mm. be. I think they're about 50-50. Hey, that's neither here nor there. We'll have to ask Joe. Let's talk a little bit about Kabuto Sumo. Scott talked about this one some time back. It's quite simple. Think dexterity game with some meat on the bones. So you've got this circle, this platform that is a little bit raised from your tabletop. And onto it, you'll be placing a bunch of different sized wooden discs as well as a couple of bugs. 
the wooden bug discs, right? Well, they're, they're kind of round-shaped-ish. No, that's, that's neither here nor there. On a player turn, what you're going to do is you're going to take this little slider piece. It's like a ledge that is the same height as the platform that the bugs are on so that you can push the ledge up to it. And then you take one disc and you slide it onto the ledge. Now, where does that disc come from? Well, it depends on your bug. The game comes with like a dozen different bugs, each with their own like special moves and starting inventory, special inventory. So most bugs are going to have some basic inventory, some medium-sized discs to get started. If you ever run out of discs, you're out. So don't run out. How do I get more? Well, when you push a disc onto the platform, when the game starts, it's completely filled. Inevitably, some of the other discs on the other side are going to fall off, thus being added to your inventory. More importantly, the opponent's bug, ideally, if you're pushing in the right direction, is going to get closer to the edge. And that's the goal of the game. Be the first person to knock another bug off of the top. So what makes this unique? You know, this sounds a little bit simple. Like, I don't know, that could be a kid's game. First of all, I think dexterity games have this going for them. A lot of them I can have a lot of fun with as an adult. Be it cata- yeah. catapult kingdoms, class, catacombs, you name it. I can have fun with it as an adult. So long as you have two folks that are evenly matched. Maybe that's where a dexterity game can falter is if you have like, like if I played my daughter. You know? <laughs> Josh, if you played against your son, you'd crush him. Oh, yeah. No, I, need to, feel, I need to feel fun. good about myself. I'll play against my son. Yeah. Yeah. Put him in his place. <laughs> what Kabuto Sumo does that makes it unique is... Everybody selects a bug at the start of play. The inventory is going to be different. So we already have some asymmetry based on what discs we have to start the game. But then on top of that, you might have a bug that's got this big diamond-shaped disc. And in order to get it, at some point in the game, you can trade two small discs. You give them to your opponent, and you unlock the diamond disc. Now, it's a little bit bigger, so that's kind of cool. You push it onto the platform just like you would any other disc. Okay, my turn's over. But my bug's ability says if that diamond disc ever falls off for any reason by any player, I get a bonus extra turn immediately. Well, hey, that's really cool. But that's specific to my bug. And there are 7 or 10 or 11 more. I'm not even sure how many are in the base box. There are a (laughs) ton more bugs, each with their own shaped disc that they can put on with its own abilities. You know what? I think that's what makes this game for me is the asymmetry between the bugs. Tell me, Josh, Kabuto Sumo, give me some thoughts. Great game. I think that you're right. The more complexity and asymmetry you add, I wouldn't say complexity, the more asymmetry you add to this game, the better it gets. There are some games where I think you don't need the expansions to make it fun, and sometimes they even bog it down. But this game, the expansions you add to it make it way more fun. It's it's because I think the you know the coin pushing aspect where you're pushing the things onto the board and it falls off, it could get old really quick if you play it a lot. But like the expansion they came out with, where it adds like chairs and tables and brambles and stuff, uh, it's just <laughs> the best. It's it's you know, it's tables, so ladders, and chairs match with your bugs. Now, to clarify, the asymmetric cards with the asymmetric shapes that's in the base box. The expansions, like Josh is talking about, they do have. It's literally it's a wooden chair. It's a wooden chair so piece you slide on. The only one that I learned while we were there was that those the thumbtacks, right? That yeah, I think that's brambles. what they're trying to emulate. Yeah. So you sprinkle them onto the board at the start of. Play. And the way that it works is if you knock one off, just like you would an inventory chip, you take it to your inventory. You're not allowed to use it anymore. It just sits there. If you have four of them in your inventory, you lose. You got it's overly so thumbtacked or something. It has what so much tension. Thing. Yeah. 
It's it adds tension to a game that has tension in already. Like you're it it I, the brambles is my favorite one because you just sprinkle it over like salt based style, and it is so good. The table adds an interesting element as well, where if you break the table, you're going to have some sort of special effect with it. The chairs are fun. The ladders are fun. It it really is one of those games, the more you add, the better it gets without over-convoluting it. Well, Josh, this being a side quest, we don't want to keep the adventures too long. We saved the best for last. This is one that I think you got pinned teaching every day. So the setup when you were working for board game tables, we all got there and like, okay, Patrick, you can hold down. You do mountain goats, dandelions, and then you can show nine lives and kind of hover. And then you, you're going to go over there. You're going to do Kabuto Sumo, this one and that one. And then, Nikki, we need you. This game, oh, what's the one? Psychic Pizza Deliverers Go to Ghost Town. Yes, that's a mouthful. You need one person to act as a GM. So, Nikki, you just, you hold down the fort right there all four hours that you're here. Josh, you got pinned with one that was really, really good. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to pick up a copy. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, first off, shout out to Mountain Goats. Love you. You didn't have time to talk to me, but love you. Love you, boy. You're great. Um, They're one of the teams in this game, though. They are one of the teams in this game. So, this is Basket Boss. This is the newest release from BoardGameTables.com. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just said Basket Boss. Josh, you're not going to tell me that a sports game is any good, are you? I'm going to tell you that a sports game can be very good as long as you're not trying to play the sport. (laughs) So, in Basket Boss, you are a team manager for a various amount of basketball teams. And it's kind of mm-hmm. cheeky because the basketball teams are all named after the different games that board game tables has produced. So there's like the mountain goats, the ants, yeah. the ghosts. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bunch of different silly little ones, but little in the game in there, little insight, little, Easter little, eggs, little thumbtacks, little brambles, things like that. Just sprinkle. <laughs> Very them. good. But what you're doing in the game is that you are managing your starting lineup for your basketball team. So the game is played mm-hmm. over six rounds, and on those six rounds, you're going to go through five phases where you will bid for players, count up stars, and see how well your starting lineup did. You're going to hire advisors, collect income from your players to see how profitable they are, and then age your players. So without getting too much into it, without like diving really deep into the game's mechanics, you're going to be auctioning for players by a starting player picking somebody and say, hey, I bid $2 for this guy. They go around, whoever has the highest bid gets that player, and they slot it into their player board. After that, you see how many stars are on the top row of your player cards and player board, and count up, whoever has the most stars wins that season. Okay, so we go around bidding until the market of players. We've each acquired some number of them, or none, and we still have our money for next round. What's next? So after you do that, what you're going to do is slot them into your player boards. This is where the real meat of the game comes in. What's with these Mm -hmm. player boards, they each have a section that shows a position. Point guard, shooting guard, center, things like that. You can place your card, which has a, a color on it, anywhere you want. And these colors represent the position. You can place it anywhere you want. You're going to get points if you keep all the colors on the board, but it doesn't really matter for this sake. You place it on there with the top row, which has a bunch of different stars. And to describe these cards and what the players look like, they're very long and slender cards. If you've played Space Base before, it's yeah, like those- think Space Base. It's yeah, a long, so. skinny card. A long, skinny card that has different sections of it in it, and each of these sections has stars. This determines the player's value. And that's going to be changing throughout the game, and that's that aging mechanism. So mm-hmm. once you go through your round, you count up your stars, see who wins the season, and award points based on your lineup. You're actually going to push that card into the player board. It has like a little slot that barely fits the card and changes the value of that player. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. 
And I tell you, whole- that sliding thing is so damn satisfying. I'm sorry. And, go ahead. It's so know, satisfying. It is. And that's what makes the game great is because, you know, yeah, it's an auction game, but really it's a resource management, tableau management game, whatever you want to call it, with the resources, your players. You're trying to control when players go in and when players goes out. Because once you commit to a player, they stay in there until they, quote unquote, age out and you slide them all the way in. So really, mm-hmm. you got to be careful on who you're bidding on. But that's where advisors come in. I talked about a step where you hire advisors. These advisors can help you manipulate these cards so that you get them exactly where you want them to be. And this is extremely important because at round six, how many stars you have in your starting lineup is going to be worth victory points. So it can be a huge swing. You can be you can be doing just okay the entire game. If you have a killer ending lineup, you could swing yourself sometimes. I think like thirty points was the maximum if you do it, it can right. Get up there, it's really good. So Josh, you said one of my favorite things about Basketball is that aging mechanic. You simply slide the card up. So my card might have one star, one star, one star, two stars, two stars, five stars. So that player, whenever I acquire him, is not adding a whole lot of value. Just one star. Then next season, I slide it up, and now he's worth one star. Next season, I slide it up, and it's two stars, etc. cetera. Uh, vice versa, I had a guy, it was Uncle something. He was worth five stars, and then next year, he's only worth one star, and then nothing after that. So it's like, okay, you're getting this wily veteran that's going to be really awesome, and then the wheels come off, right? You're going to have to replace him. They tinker with that through the advisors. The advisors do a myriad of things, but there was one that said you can force age a player. It's the trainer. You're basically, you're taking someone who gets better as time goes on and you're making time go on quicker. You're getting them to those big numbers of stars sooner. But then there was one that said, take some, one of your cards. You don't have to age them. It was like the physical therapist. So if you, I saw in one of the demos I did, somebody grabbed that uncle guy. He had the five stars for season one. And the next season, he isn't worth anything or he's only worth one. Yeah. Uncle Drew. grabbed the physical therapist. What was it? I think it was Uncle Drew was the name of the guy. Okay. Oh, so he grabs Uncle Drew and then he got the, uh, yeah, he got the physical therapist. So at the end of season one, we go into season two and he says, I'm going to use the physical therapist. Uncle Drew's hanging out for another year and he's just as good. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> now, why does that matter? Well, it depends on the players and it depends on what you bid. You're not always going to get that physical therapist. If you're third in line to pick one of those advisor cards, it might not be there. So it might not work out, but that opportunity is there. And there are a ton of little synergies like that. Each season, the uh, game plays what six seasons. Each season has a card that represents a special rule. The one that we we were purposefully putting it at the top. Say, okay, look, here's what would happen next is the uh, the three-point line got moved back. Oh, geez. So three pointers became harder. So now suddenly it's like your centers went up in value. Like if you can get a high point center, it's worth more stars at the end of the round. End of the round, everybody gets yeah. a trophy that's worth 10 points, uh, 10, 7, 4, respectively. And they go down, of course. And then at the end of the game, it's the total of your trophies. And like you said, that last lineup of stars, I would call this the best game. I, I mean, I love QE. Don't get me wrong. This is, um, Maybe a better way to put it, the gamiest game that I've seen from board game tables yet. Most of them, I don't want to say most of them are one-trick ponies, because you could take something like Nine Lives and say, well, it's trick-taking. I mean, you can go as deep as you want with something like that. That's true, but it's, let's be honest, it is a trick-taking game where you have to predict how many you're going to win. Kabuto Sumi is a dexterity game with plenty of variables that make it so much fun, but you're trying to knock one piece off of the edge of the board. Basketball says more moving parts than any of their games. And I, I think it's extremely rewarding. And I 
I'm so happy that they got a hold of it because it's just that next step in the board game tables line. Like, look, we got this one too. I got to tell you, I don't care at all about basketball. You know, I, I played sports even in college. I was, I was playing soccer. I love sports in my board games. Eh, you know, I, sports, I, sports teams are hard. They really are. I think, yeah. I think they're figuring out a way to do it though. Like portal games recently just released 11, which is a mm-hmm. soccer management game. I think doing that instead of trying to emulate what happens on a field is the way to go when it comes to doing sports stuff. So I really do think that basketball is like you said, they have like habitats and factory funner, but mm-hmm. I, basketball really did something different. And I think is unique in its theme, its presentation, and its mechanisms that really make it a standout game for them. Well, Josh, I think six is a pretty good slice of what board game tables has to offer. The only catch is it might not be offered by board game tables moving forward. I understand they're rebranding, and I think they're going to be called All Play. I actually sent them an email yesterday morning saying, hey, Joe, can we uh, can we tell Adventures this? And uh, if you're hearing it now, Adventures, that means I heard back from the email, and they said <laughs> yes. This company does the board games, of course. They do tables, which I believe is what they were founded on. They're also known for those beautiful big bags that you can wear like a backpack. You ever go to a con and you get hit on the side of your body and almost (laughs) fall over because somebody's wearing a bag like a backpack? That came from board game tables, and those bags are exquisite. But moving forward, they're going to be all play. I think that is a good move. As quirky as I find boardgametables.com, I know lots of people were like, that's a horrible name for a publisher. I like it, but I think All Play really is going to capture what they try to do with their games because they really make games that anybody, no matter what level, can jump in and play because they are fairly simple. Well, Josh, we don't normally do this on a side quest, but it feels appropriate that we each state a level up since our last one. Tell me what you got. For my level up, my son's birthday is coming up, and he is turning two. It's going to be very exciting. And I am going to try to convince my wife to let me make the cake this year. Now, I love, love cooking. I can cook on a wok, I'm mean on the stove, but I am a sub-average baker. And on top of that, the cake has to be gluten-free because my wife is allergic to gluten. So I'm going to attempt to make a funfetti, no colors, artificial colors added, funfetti, gluten-free cake with natural icing from scratch to attempt to serve it at my son's birthday... That's going to be my level up because I'm looking forward to it, but also everything that is complicated in baking is thrown in there. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I don't think he's too pleased about this because I can hear him in the background. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Adventurers, if you you hear a child screaming in the background, what you do significantly at this point, he's okay. He's just grumpy because we're not giving him juice because he's had too much (laughs) juice today. So that's what's happening right there. Josh, stop beating the baby. (laughs) What about you, Patrick? What's your level up? Josh, I'm going to keep this one simple. I'm the type that when it comes to Christmas shopping, I wait until like two or three days before Christmas because then I don't have to struggle with what I'm getting. I'm in the store. I see something for someone and I'm like, well, I either have to buy this now or they're not going to get anything. And that's what makes it so easy. But this year I put a good bit of thought into things. I think I have some some gifts that recipients will be proud of. My level up is that I'm done with the shopping. And we're recording this like before the 10th. This is This is beyond record. My old record was like <laughs> December 23rd, so this is sincerely a level up for me. Congrats. Good goal. Good level up. Really good level up. Well, Josh, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. What uh, what are we up to on Tabletop Submarine, and where can listeners go hear more? 
If you want to listen to Tabletop Submarine, we are a storytelling podcast where we tell stories behind games that are coming out, behind designers, you know, whole story. And sometimes we just talk about you know, people's favorite experience playing board games. We had Patrick on where he talked about Seafall. We had King Scott on where he was able to talk about Black Orchestra. It's a great game. You can find us on Podbeam and every other major podcast streaming platform, except iTunes. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Apparently, there's something wrong with the picture that we have. It's weird. iTunes makes me infuriated. <laughs> but you can check us out. We released actually kind of in sync with a, with a Level Up podcast, so we release every other Thursday. But you can find us on Facebook. We have a Discord where we playtest each other's games. It's a great time. But that's, that's where you can find us on Tabletop Submarine. Well, again, Josh, thank you for joining us today on Level Up Adventures. If you didn't hear last week's episode, we talk all about Planet Unknown, me and the king for the whole episode. Adventures, we hope you have a very happy holiday, and we'll see you next week right before New Year's. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.